Sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes day after day goes along and it seems like it's growing more unfair. Sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes it seems like we take a step forward and two steps back uh, day after day. And uh, I wonder if you're here this morning and you've ever felt kind of stuck. you ever felt like stymied, completely stymied in your life, like, like you couldn't get anywhere at all? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that no matter what you do, you can't seem to make it work out? You just can't make things work out, and, and uh, you just can't make headway. You, you can't change things for the better. Well, so you're not alone. It's actually a pretty common experience. Many people feel discouraged, feel disappointed, maybe even hopeless. Sermon today is, I believe in God, but I've almost lost hope. And I put almost lost hope because I didn't think you would agree if I said I already lost hope. You wouldn't want to admit that. You know, I'm, I'm not gone yet, but I'm right at the edge. I'm teetering on the edge of that. And I've almost arrived. This morning is the final message in the I Believe in God series that we've been doing here this year. Uh, it's a very important one for us and for everyone we've ever known. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today. Uh, Lord, there's been things you've been putting on my heart as I prepared the message, but maybe there's something else even beyond that that you want me to get, everyone else to get. So we open up to you. We ask, Lord, that you would use this time uh, either through my words or through your own way. Communicate to each of us the hope that we have only in Jesus. Only in him. Amen. Chaplain Austin Mansfield was driving around his community and, and uh, saw a car and so he decided to write about it because he saw some bumper stickers. He said, To despair means to be hopeless, to have no hope, to give up all hope of expectation. I, I saw hopelessness displayed in full force a couple weeks ago as I was driving toward Coast Highway. While at a traffic light, I was reading the bumper stickers on the car in front of me. One of them had a drawing of a small child on his knees, knees and hands clasped together, looking up. We see that a lot. And next to the drawing, this one said, Nothing fails like prayer. Beside that was another bumper sticker that read, The next logical step is atheism. And he just sat there stunned. How despairing, how hopeless, he thought. He continued, he said, To believe that there is nothing but this material world we live in, that there is no God, that there is no us, beyond this life is true despair. If we are a series of cosmic accidents that will cease to exist, a creation with no creator, then we have no purpose. And our lives are absolutely meaningless. Now we just join the animal kingdom. You know, fight for the survival of the fittest. However it ends, it ends. That's it. How dismal, how despairing, how hopeless. In the early 14th century, Dante Alighieri wrote about the afterlife in an epic poem called The Divine Comedy. If you're familiar with Dante's poem, you know it is no laughing matter, <laughs> this divine comedy. It is a poem about hell. 
And in Dante's Inferno, he described the sign or the inscription over the entrance to hell. It reads, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. How despairing. How tragic. How disappointing. You know, people place their hope in many different things. Some put all their hopes and dreams in their family. So they invest all of their energy, all their time into this family. I'm going to make these stellar kids and they're going to make me so proud. And, and they'll, I'll pin my hopes on them and then they're going to do something wonderful with their lives. Many people put their hopes and their dreams in their career, their job. They say, you know, I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to get all the skills I can. I'm going to make all the promotions I can. And I'm going to advance as far as I can. And that's where my hope lies. Some people do everything they can to keep their physical health health, uh, so that they can be happy. They think if I can just you know, stay healthy and I can be strong and physically fit, even as I age and maybe not do as much as I did before, if I can stay healthy, that will be the way to live a happy life. And lots of people, of course, pin their hopes on their money or on their material things. They think, you know, if I can just scrape together enough, that's where my hope will be. I'll take care of myself. I'll have the financial security that I need. If we just stop and look at these things for even a moment, we realize how empty they are. You can't control any of these things. You can't determine what will happen. We realize that money can be lost easily. You can lose everything that you ever had in just a, a few seconds of time if certain things happen. The power that you could lost or be lost or the, the job presence you have and the abilities you have and the skills that everyone else admires, all of that could go away very quickly. People can and will let you down. Our health, even our families can be lost. No matter how hard we try to keep them, no matter what we do, no matter how much we spend, how much energy we give it, we can't control these things. And to put our hope in any of them, then, is a false kind of hope. We might as well face it. The only thing that we can take into eternity with us is our faith. And that's where we put our hope. We put our hope in our faith in Jesus Christ. Hope placed anywhere but in Christ is futile and certain to disappoint us. May we never forget that. So our text today comes from Romans 15. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to that or find one in the seat in front of you. We'll also have it on the screen just to make it easier for you. This is kind of a lengthy passage, 13 verses I want to read, the first 13 verses of Romans 15. And so don't, don't check out as we go through this. At the beginning and the end, kind of like bookends of this, there's something about hope. Okay, so don't, don't you know, glaze over. You don't let your eyes just roll back into your head or something like that. Because there's a point to be made here. And we'll get to the punchline in verse 13 in just a moment. Okay, Romans 15, start with verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written... The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth 
to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles, most of us, may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That is God's people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will have hope in him. We never had it before. But with Jesus, we have hope. Verse 13, the punchline. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to look at this briefly in just a few sections. First of all, just the first three verses. Paul is making the point we're in this together. We, we talked about that last week. You know, we're not lonely. There's no reason that anybody in the body of Christ should be lonely because we're in this together. We are a family. God has put us together. We're to care for one another, take care of each other, love one another. And Paul picks that up here. He says, serve one another, take care of one another, bear with each other's failings. Don't worry about trying to please yourself. Build your neighbors up for their good. Invest your life in that. You're not going to be lonely doing that. And you're, you're going to be cared for as you care for someone else. So we're not in this alone. We need to love each other. And this was the very example Jesus gave, wasn't it? He says, just as Jesus did the same thing. You know, he, he, he said in Mark 10.45, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is our life as a Christian. Section 2 is verses 4 through 12, the big chunk of this passage. And the first mention of hope I want you to notice is in these verses is in verse 4. Let's look at it again. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Through the endurance of faithful believers down through centuries and centuries of faithfulness, we can also be encouraged. Their faithfulness encourages us, and through this we might have hope. God's point in telling the stories of the Bible, this old, big old Testament, and even into the New Testament, and the book of Acts, and all the faithful believers, and to Hebrews chapter 11, where it gives all the heroes of the faith and all they went through for God, they are told to us for two reasons. First of all, to help us have endurance. They persevered, we can persevere. And secondly, to encourage us, to give us encouragement that you know, somebody's patting us on the back. Somebody's cheering for us. Hebrews even gives this picture of this great cloud of witnesses watching us and cheering us on. Say, you can do it. Cross the finish line. Get there. Do what you're supposed to do for God. And we read their stories and we think, you know, if they could do it, I can do it. I can be faithful to God, and I can hang in there. If they stay true to God, so can I. And our hope springs from their perseverance and from the Word of God itself. And we see Jesus' example of that again. His story, what he went through, even as Arthur described that, you know, the, the torture and the death that he has suffered for us is an encouragement to us, no matter what you have to face, no matter what you have to do to. There's something beyond this. There is a future, and your hope is in that. It's not in what you're going through today. It's in what you will go to tomorrow. 
So then Paul talks about the Jews and Gentiles and how through Christ both of them have been given a hope that they never had, a security, a confidence, a trust that, that God is going to be there for us. And the Gentiles are invited in. And the fulfillment of what was offered you know, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob way back then, and even through Moses and prophet after prophet, is that someday all nations will come to put their hope in Christ. And now that day has come. As Jesus gave his life and he opened the door for all of us. Remember the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Access was given to all mankind to Jesus and to the hope that we can have only in him. Without Jesus, we Gentiles would have no hope at all. Now, yesterday we had a health fair, and we had all kinds of people here. And it was really fun for me to think that, you know, we were so non-discriminatory. We're not asking for IDs. We're not checking whether they have right immigration status. We're not checking any of that. We're just loving people. And all kinds of people are coming. And I, I told you about some of those different people coming. Blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, Muslims, Jews. You know, the, the whole nine yards was there yesterday. And there's so many more that need what we were offering there yesterday. We weren't just offering health care. We were offering hope. We were offering hope for their future through Jesus Christ. And maybe it was only a seed planting incident. Maybe it was just the beginning of a conversation. Maybe it was just an expression of love. And they say, why would those people in that church want to do that for me? If that's all they were left with, that's enough. Because they will somehow pursue that and somehow seek what, what that means. And I want us to think about people in our lives. And I was thinking nationally. You know, Caleb, you've got a bunch of people you know in Liberia. Do they need hope? Yeah, they do. Prosper, do the people in Ghana need hope? Absolutely. I mean, what they've been through in some of these countries, we can't even imagine. To have hope for the future is everything for their life. What about where you work? Do the people there need hope? Do the people in your neighborhood need hope? Do the people in your schools need hope? Do the people on your block, in your family? You, you can't name a single person that doesn't need the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And what we have been given freely that we didn't deserve, we are to pass along. Remember? What he says in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Be ready for those who ask an answer, a question of you, to be ready to give a defense or to give an answer to them, to show them the hope that you have. And we need to be prepared for that. Verse 13, All by itself, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jeffrey Anselmi points out that Paul uses a unique phrase here when he says, the God of hope. That never appears before or after this in the Bible. The God of hope. Coins a, a new phrase here. He invokes God as the God of hope. An unusual description of God found nowhere else in the New Testament or the Old. And he says that God, then, is the author of hope. God is the source of hope. God is the inspiration for hope. He is the God of hope. And he offers this hope. He inspires this hope by his Holy Spirit. And then thinking of this hope, Paul prays that God will give his fellow believers two things, joy and peace. Isn't that what hope provides? Isn't that what people need so desperately? 
They need some joy. This is not happiness. This is not giddiness. This is a joy that passes all understanding, as peace does. This is something that holds you steady. This is something that gives you security. This is something that keeps you feeling satisfied when you couldn't get satisfied before. And it's through our hope that we achieve or receive joy and peace. Many people today don't have this. Many people today are disappointed and dissatisfied, are they not? They have lost hope, though they're quickly losing it. Things are not working out the way that they hoped they would, and at different points in time, maybe young or old, somewhere in between, they reach this point where they say, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I hoped for. And they despair of life itself. They're unhappy. They're even hopeless. Tim Goldfish put up a thing on Facebook, and maybe some of you saw that just yesterday. There's an article about this sea of despair that is growing in, in a section of our population that you wouldn't expect it to. These are the people that, that really have their life pretty good as far as you look at their economics, you look at their material blessings, you look at where they are in their station of life. They're, they're chasing the dream, and many of them are achieving the dream, but the sea of despair is growing. And they're turning to other things because they don't find the answer in the things that they said would give the answer. It wasn't in a bigger house. It wasn't in a fancier car. It wasn't in a nicer job. It wasn't in a greater paycheck than they ever got before. It wasn't in exotic things that they're able to do now that they couldn't do before. None of that has been the answer. And so they're looking somewhere else for an answer. And they're growingly dissatisfied, disappointed, and yes, even hopeless. I want you to notice something this morning. But you get it right. All of us get it right. That most of the dissatisfaction and the disappointment it comes from the fact that we're trying to be satisfied with things that cannot satisfy. That's it. It's so simple. And yet it's so deep. <laughs> that the reason people are hopeless is because they're putting hope in the wrong place, in the wrong thing, in the wrong person. And they cannot be satisfied because that thing or place or person cannot satisfy. That's not what they're there for. And so they cannot possibly receive what they were hoping to receive from them. When we are trying to pursue dreams that cannot satisfy, it doesn't matter how hard we work, doesn't matter how fast we work, it doesn't matter how smart we are, how skillful we are, if you're trying to go the wrong direction, you can't get there. The end result is the same because the thing we are pursuing is not able to satisfy us. And what has happened is that our enemy, the devil, has been a master at getting us to chase the wrong things. You know, that, that's his thing. You know, let me tell you these promises. Let me give you these dreams. Let me show you what might happen in your life. And he, he throws all this stuff at us and says, if you'll just do this, look at the results. And it's, it's, smoke, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. It's not true. It's false. Often he succeeds in selling a false dream to somebody and they put their hope in something they can't possibly deliver. And they hope they will be satisfied, but they never can be. And at the end of this lifetime, they wake up and they say, is that all there is? Isn't there anything else? Isn't there more? Jesus put it this way. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. A lot of people find that, you know, it's big. You don't even have to look for it. You just keep going, and you're on that path. 
But small, he says, is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Gratefully, we're the people have, that have now found it, but a lot of other people haven't. They're still out there just you know, blazing along this, this wide path leading to destruction and hopelessness. I remember Dr. James Dobson talking about many people in the business world who spent their lives climbing the corporate ladder of success. And they're very successful at it. You know, they make their promotions and they get their pay raises and they move on to a new company that's offering them even more. And at the end of their life, they get to the top of the ladder and they realize the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Isn't that a great picture of hopelessness? Do you remember that? And does that apply to your life? Does that apply to you? You know, are you, are you chasing something that can't possibly satisfy you? Can't possibly bring meaning to you? Can't possibly fulfill the hopes and dreams of your heart? Will you admit this morning that the hopeless feeling that you're having comes because you've been placing your hope in the wrong place? That's why you're despairing. That's why you're upset. That's why you feel hopeless sometimes. You're almost there, almost right over the edge. It's because... Your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. You know, I got thinking about some of the people I know in my life, and, and I could tell a lot of different stories. Let me tell you two, because the contrast was very strong. And this is, these are examples in the last couple weeks. Uh, we went out to eat one day, and we had a great waiter that was you know, very personable, very you know, on the spot. He was doing everything. He was supposed to be smiled. He was quick. He was getting everything we wanted to do, and he just served us really well. And... You know, from all appearances, you know, a happy, satisfied guy. You know, just a young guy. And and as we left and paid the bill, I put my business card there. I wrote on the back of it, thank you for being such a great server. Uh, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. And if there's anything special we could pray about in your life, let me know. So he's got a way to, you know, send an email to me or whatever. And, uh, you know, as we got ready to leave, he happened to be right there at the cash register, so I just walked up to him, gave him the card specially, and I said, I, I really mean this. You know, I'll be praying for you. If there's anything, uh, you let me know. Well, I heard nothing, absolutely nothing. He probably thought I was some weirdo, you know, so that, that's okay. And so we left, and I kept praying for him. And, and I don't know what's going on in his life. Well, about a week later, I'm like, what is happening? You know, is there any way I could find out? You know, I'd feel funny just showing up, you know, at the restaurant again, asking about it, so I... So I, I thought, okay, I know his name. I'm going to look on Facebook. You know, I found him on Facebook. And, you know, for some reason, things open, you know. So I go through this whole post, and, it, and man, it was, it was horrible what I saw there. His life and what he's into and what he thinks is cool and what he thinks is important. My prayers went ten times higher than for him. It was like, wow. Where he's headed. He's headed to despair. He's headed to crash and burn. That's, that's where it's going to go. If something doesn't happen, so I'm really praying for this guy. Uh, but I have no way to really do more about it than pray. So God will find somebody in there. Then I thought at the same time, Hector and Michelle are going through all this stuff with their baby. Michelle's found out, you know, that, that uh, she's lost most of the amniotic fluid, and that's not good for the baby, of course. And So they're going to put her in the hospital, and she's going through week after week, you know, of bed rest, got to stay in the hospital. She's been there for seven weeks now. And at first when they went in, it's 23 weeks, and they were saying, you know, you got to get to at least 28 weeks for the baby to really have a good chance and so on. She's at 31 weeks now. 
praise God for that. We're so happy. And they're saying, you know, the baby's developing well. She's doing really well. Her name is Gabriella. They've named her. And they're anticipating maybe another three or four weeks. But it's not always been easy, has it? Back at the beginning, doctors were given a lot of bad news. Some people probably would have aborted, you know, just easier. Um, but they're just holding on to God. They're, 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 uh, they're shocked, but they were not rocked by this. You know, they, they just said, yeah, we're holding on to God. We're, we're confident. God's, God's going to do whatever God's going to do here. We're okay. Uh, even partway through, the doctor came and said her lungs are not developing as they could. Just be ready uh, that there's going to be have to maybe an artificial lung when she's born for a while. Help her breathe and get oxygen to her blood and, and so on. And they thought, oh, we don't want that for a little girl. They prayed and prayed and prayed. And a few weeks later, the doctor came back and said, no, oh, her lungs are doing fine. You know, they're, they're coming along. I think we're not going to need to do anything like that. You just keep a few more weeks going and we'll be all right. I think those doctors are just going to stand back when she's born and there's be an amazement. Like, wow, what did God do? You know, and here's a couple faced with really dire circumstances who responded with hope, who responded with faith. And I've been so impressed by the way Hector and Michelle have lived this out to this point. And they're just trusting. They don't know the answer. They don't know where it's all going to turn out for sure. But their confidence is in God. And so they have joy. They have peace. And when you go to visit them, you're going to be lifted up. <laughs> Because they're going to exude that. They're going to give that to you. Ask Caleb and Monica about that. They'll tell you all about that. It's a wonderful go visit, Michelle. Now listen, if your life is lived in the wrong direction, it can cannot, it cannot come out right. No matter how many times you play it out. You had 20 chances to get it right. If you're going the wrong direction, you can't make it work. If your ladder's leaning against the wrong wall, you can't get where you want to go. If you tried to build your life according to the wrong design, the wrong set of blueprints, it just can't come out right no matter how skillfully you build. But we have a hope. We have a hope that never disappoints. His name, Jesus. People put their hope in all the wrong places, in their jobs or families, even in themselves. But the things of this world and other people will always disappoint us eventually. All will eventually disappoint us. Franklin Graham wrote about a visit to Haiti where he preached at a coliseum right next to the largest homeless camp in that country. That camp, that, the country is still in great trouble, isn't it? And they don't know how to solve what they've got to do economically there. When he had just come back from this trip, he says, my heart was broken as I looked into the plaintive faces of so many suffering people. Hundreds of thousands of people are still homeless. There's filth and rubble everywhere. This misery and death. And then he noted what the people of Haiti need is hope. More than anything else, they need the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so, it's true in Liberia. It's true in Ghana. It's true at your workplace. It's true in your home. It's true in your school. It's true in your job. It's true in your neighborhood. Everyone needs the hope that never disappoints. And so our hope is in Jesus. Romans 5.5 5 says, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And while the world futilely pursues political, maybe, or economic, or educational, or maybe social solutions, we Christians put our hope in Jesus. 
and he is a hope that never disappoints. We have a hope named Jesus. He's the anchor for our souls. Hebrews 6.19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. I love that word picture. No matter how many storms of life, no matter how severe the storms of life, we have an anchor. And he holds us secure. Jesus alone will never let us down. It was 1741. An old man was wandering the streets of London. His name was George Frederick Handel. At this point, he was angry at life. His mind kept going back to the time when he was famous and had the applause of royalty, the elite of London. But now in his mind, full of despair, hopelessness, for the applause was gone. Others were now in the spotlight, and envy began to possess him. Added to that, a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzed his right side, and he was walking with a limp. He couldn't use his hand to write. Doctors gave little hope for recovery. The old composer traveled to France and began to soak in the baths, which were said to have healing effects, and the hot mineral baths seemed to help, and his health seemed to improve. Eventually, he was able to write once more, and his success began to return as a composer. But then he faced another reversal. Queen Caroline, who had been his staunch supporter, died, and England found itself on hard economic times. In fact, they wouldn't allow anybody to heat a large auditorium for a concert, so all of them were killed, no longer permitted. His performances were canceled, and he began to wonder where God was in all of this. You know, I got my abilities back, can't use them, can't bless anybody. Then one night, as he returned from his walk, he found Charles Jennings waiting in his home, and Jennings explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and New Testaments, and he thought that Handel was just the right guy to set it to music. Well, at first he was indifferent. So he began to read the words which Jennings had put together, but then his eyes fell on words from Scripture, about Jesus. He was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. His eyes raced ahead to other words. He trusted in God. God did not leave his soul in hell. He will give you rest. And finally, his eyes stopped on the words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he became aware of the presence of God. He was aware in a new and profound way. And as he picked up his pen, they say the Spirit of God was moving, and music seemed to just flow through him. He finished the first part of Handel's Messiah, this classic work, in seven days. The second section was completed in six days, and many will remember that when they first performed this in London, the Hallelujah Chorus being sung, that George, King George II stood up, and everyone else stood up, because the king's standing up, and to this day, whenever Handel's Messiah... The Hallelujah Chorus is sung. Everyone rises to their feet. Someday, everyone will know that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our hope. Someday. It will be too late for many of them to actually claim him as their hope. But they will know. Someday, everybody will bow before him, whether they ever acknowledged him as Lord before or not. And we who believe in Jesus today are among the few who have the hope that never disappoints. The hope that gives us peace and joy, whatever our circumstances or experiences. May our hope always be in Jesus alone, for he alone is worthy of our hope, our trust, our confidence.
I know this morning that at least one man is going to come forward and surrender his life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd like to join him. You have never named Jesus as the anchor of your soul, as the hope for all eternity. By putting your faith and confidence in him, we invite you to do that. We encourage you to do that. Maybe there's someone here who has almost lost hope. They had it. Somehow it slipped away. And today you are reminded that the only hope that never disappoints is Jesus. And you would come to surrender again to him and rededicate your life to him, to reaffirm your faith in him. And we will be very happy to pray for you. Just a few minutes, we're going to have a special song. We're going to be lifting up Jesus together. We're going to be praying to him even through the song. If you want to come forward and, and surrender your life to Christ, we're going to be asking others to pray for you as you reaffirm your faith. Uh, we invite you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the uh, hope that we have in Christ. A hope that never disappoints. A hope that fills our lives through the Holy Spirit with joy and peace. No matter our circumstances. No matter our experiences. No matter the trials that we may have to go through. Or even enemies who may try to hurt us. They can't take this hope away. And so we put our hope in Jesus. We pray for anyone that needs to follow Jesus today that has never done that. that They would surrender to him in faith. They would submit to his leadership in their lives and live for him all the days of this life and on into eternity. I pray for anybody, Lord, that is feeling hopeless before today, that is found again, that the only hope we have is in Jesus. Touch their hearts today, Lord, in a, in a profound, unforgettable way as they rededicate themselves to you and as they desire to live only for Jesus. Use this time, Lord, to speak to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join?